This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. I'm your host, Colleen Dully. Saints for Sinners offers hundreds of saint medallions, all beautifully hand-painted in New Orleans. Each medal is unique, and there's a saint for everyone and anyone. For animal lovers, for musicians, for mothers, for daughters, those special in our lives. These saint medals are all wearable and make great gifts for any occasion. The saints offer guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, hope. These one-of-a-kind, hand-painted saint medals are tiny tokens of hope. Who's your favorite saint? Take the quiz and find your favorite saint at saintsforsinners.com. Imported from Italy, hand-painted in New Orleans. Visit saintsforsinners.com and take the quiz. The discussions happening in the Synod right now are based on the worldwide listening process that started in October 2021. In the United States, most dioceses and parishes took a few months to wrap their heads around what was being asked of them at first. Then they had their listening sessions in spring 2022. That summer and fall, the USCCB put those responses together. And then some representatives from the US had a continental discussion with Canada. And all of that led to the creation of the working document that's now guiding the meeting in Rome. Julia McStravag is a young laywoman who has been working with the USCCB on this process from the beginning. In many ways, she's the perfect person for the job. She did her doctoral thesis on dialogue and has worked closely with the USCCB at the DC Holocaust Museum and volunteered for many years at a Quaker soup kitchen. So she brings a really unique interreligious perspective to her work as a senior advisor for the Synod on Synodality at the USCCB. Julia joins me for a conversation from Rome. Welcome to Inside the Vatican, Julia. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Great. Thank you for joining us. I know you wanted to begin with a prayer. Would you like to lead that? Yeah, it's gotten to the point where I'm uncomfortable talking about the Synod without praying before. And so anyone you talk to who's worked with me long enough knows, and I love memorized prayer. So we're going to do the Synod prayer, the Adzumas prayer. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path, nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity, so that we may journey together to eternal life, and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All this we ask of you, who are at work in every time and place, in the communion of the Father and the Son, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's a beautiful prayer. Thank you. You're not the first journalist that I've prayed that with. So the flip side of this, though, is I'm going to ask you to close in prayer when we're finished. Oh, man. Okay. 
Sometimes I warn people, sometimes I don't. I appreciate the warning. <laughs> That's how it works. If you're going to open in prayer, you need to close in prayer. I often tell a joke that I'm I'm very much in favor of um, women's voices in, in leadership in the church until someone asks me to lead a prayer. <laughs> well, as you can tell, I don't extemporaneously pray, so... That's why I have it memorized. Can you just tell us what your role is for the USCCB, what you did during the diocesan and the continental phases of the Synod? Yeah. So you introduced me in my new role. I just joined officially back on staff at USCCB. This is the second time that I am on staff. And so that was in August 2023. But before that, starting in September 2021, I was the consultant for the Synod. Right. What did that entail? Everything. So in the very beginning, we got the vatimacum and the preparatory document. And the first thing I did was I made a memo for the bishops about what was really in there, what was highlighted, because one of the things about this entire synod, since a lot of this stuff has never happened before, the Vatican kind of knew what it wanted, but it didn't give us specific directions. So there was a lot of room and they really wanted it to be localized to the needs of the specific communities. And so in doing so, we had to pass that down to the dioceses and the parish, um, which can be frustrating if you want a task list and a checklist, but that's not at all how this works. So we had guidelines and they were really open to creativity. And so we had to figure it out what it would look like in the United States to execute what the Vatican was asking of us. What was the interest of the dioceses and the local churches in this beginning phase? Were people eager to participate or were they cautious? What was that like? Some dioceses really led strong, had a ton of listening sessions. Some people, it was more moderate. The synod is up to the bishop to decide in his local diocese how he wants to implement it. And so every Latin diocese submitted a report to us. How that report came to be varies so much between the dioceses, also how big they are, Mm -hmm. how many resources they had. You know, there was hesitation, there was fear, people were overwhelmed. How are we going to do this? How are we going to fund this? You know, and the Pope listened uh, because he wanted stuff in April and that was just not going to be possible. He extended it and then he gave us another year too after the the diocesan phase. So there's been a lot of learning as as we go and figuring out how to continue walking with the dioceses. One of the first things I did, we really didn't want the USCCB to be the story, like the people of God are the story. So we don't, we haven't really talked about a lot of the things we did internally, publicly. But one of the things that we did is we've been gathering all of the diocesan synod leaders, the people who are appointed monthly for meetings, right? Because it's not just about sharing information about these are the deadlines, here's how you're going to submit it to us. But like, what does it mean to be a synodal church? What does it mean to incorporate that into your leadership and ministry? And so I called it information and formation. So we would share this information and that would be like one part of the meeting. And then the other part of the meeting would be a small group, spiritual reflection. What does this mean? What do you need? So also when we were developing how things were going to work and the mechanisms, our team was listening to the diocesan leaders, that dialogue with them and that walking and accompaniment with them. They have become companions on the journey and it's all the better for it. So you helped write the document that was sent to the Vatican from the USCCB. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate like 
synthesizing everything. I, I assume that there were differences in what came in. You know, how did you address any tensions or disagreements? So the team who wrote it, our names are on the back. We had a drafting team, and then we had a bishop's team who edited it. We sent it to our diocesan leaders for their feedback on it, trying to put in these different methods and safeguards. Is this group who is tasked with this sacred work, are they hearing right? And of course, everybody has opinions and not everybody loved everything about it. But I think everybody could see a part of their experience in the document, even if it wasn't the entirety of their experience. You know, so we were really purposeful in trying to be uh, inclusive as possible to get as many voices as possible within the editing process. This sounds a lot like the circularity that we hear about from the Senate people. Yeah, I call them documents and dialogue because that's what they are. And so the smaller writing group, we went on retreat. We discerned and we prayed and we used the regional reports again because there were so many. And and we retreated and uh, I facilitated that retreat. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I wear many hats in the Senate process. And we came out with a document and we we really took the Vatican's guidance to heart to highlight the voices of the people of God. And so our documents are pretty quote heavy. And, you know, because these documents aren't about doctrine or church teaching, they're about what are the people of God saying. And so that's what we did. We quoted our regional reports as much as possible based on what we've read. And of course, you know, what we've read Another person could read the same 14 documents and come up with a very different national document. Like I said, through all of this, we've been intentionally praying this entire time. Everything that we've done begins with prayer and includes silence that Pope Francis really heavily emphasized as well in the documents. And so, I mean, trusting the spirit that, you know, being tasked with this sacred work that the spirit was present with us and that we could see, you know, the Holy Spirit in one another, which is kind of what happened. Let's talk now briefly about the messages that came through, right? We've talked a little about method, but what did y'all hear from the local churches? I think the biggest thing that we heard, you know, because we've heard so many things, is throughout everything has been the desire for formation at every stage of life. That makes sense. I mean, if we're called to be missionary lay people, right, we need to be formed in that. Yeah. Um, and so wanting that formation. On a more personal note, like I'm I'm curious what you felt you've learned about the U.S. church through this process. Yeah. I don't want to be a downer, but everybody's wounded. Everybody carries wounds with them. And I think that really came up to the fore in a way that I didn't anticipate the ex the like depth of woundedness. And I also, um, the other thing that I think too is parish life is often the place those wounds are first experienced. And so really thinking about, because people are like, how do we implement this? And I was like, well, you don't have to wait for the Pope to implement stuff. You have your parish report. You have your diocesan report. We have regional reports. We have a national report. We have a, a continental report. Plus we have the DCS and all the other documents that, like you said, are cyclical or like uh, documents and dialogue. And so what can you take from that now that you don't need the Pope to do in order to become a more synodal church? Because that's the other thing that I think 
you know, starting at the beginning that they knew in the Batamakum and the uh, preparatory document is that it wasn't ever going to be a one size fits all. Right. And it could, and it couldn't be. And I think that's evident in the, you know, diversity of our national syntheses. Welcome back. Well, this timing couldn't be more perfect. We're here in Rome covering the Synod on Synodality, which will have huge implications for the church around the world. And so there's no better time to tell you about an upcoming conference at the University of San Diego that will explore what it means to be a Catholic college or university today. It's called Lighting the Way Forward, and it will look at timely topics like climate change, structural racism, polarization, and lack of trust in institutions. They're asking really honest questions that affect us all, just like the Senate is doing. This conference will take place from January 11th through 13th, 2024. The speaker lineup is amazing. Cardinal Robert McElroy, a frequent writer in America, Vincentian Father Dennis Holtschreider, who is the president of the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, and our friend and colleague Gloria Purvis, host of the Gloria Purvis podcast. For the complete lineup and to register for the Lighting the Way conference, visit their website at sandiego.edu slash lighting. That's sandiego.edu slash L-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. Julia, I want to ask you a little more about, you know, your own background. You majored in dialogue and you have all this experience in interreligious dialogue. I'm curious how you applied that experience to then this really important dialogue in the Catholic Church. It's not between religions, but it is very much a, a dialogue that we're not really used to having. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Well, let me step back for a second because I'm going to talk uh, about what inspired my doctoral study. So please, um, in 2015, I traveled with uh, the VAMP, the Vatican Accredited Media. Uh, I was the local person on the ground. Um, and so I was at almost everything but the interreligious event. You're talking about the Pope's 2015 visit to the U.S.? Yeah, his apostolic visit to the U.S. Yeah. So I was at like everything but his New York interreligious you know, which was kind of funny, but the, like the one thing that you would think that you would do. <laughs> the, the, yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, at St. Matthew's, uh, he said to the bishops, that was his meeting with the bishops. And he said, I cannot ever tire of encouraging you to dialogue fearlessly. And then he names who that is. And he's like, your presbyterates, each other, lay people, you know, and so when the synod came around, I was like, he's kind of having the whole church do what he told the bishops to do in 2015. Um, and so that was, uh, you know, and that's the framing quote for my dissertation is that. So starting from there, it had me think, you know, dialogue as a theological discipline really has its root in um, ecumenical and interreligious relations. And so there's this whole theology that's been developed. 
And yes, it is specific and ecumenical and interreligious dialogue are different, but some of the basics are the same. And so my doctoral work before this started was all geared toward how to take these lessons from interreligious dialogue that were developed in the church. These are ours, right? And how can they be applied internally to enhance relationship? Yeah. So I had already been thinking about and doing the the study of that before the Pope called the Synod. And so, you know, that's the quote I go back to. I cannot ever tire of encouraging you to dialogue fearlessly. And it's with everyone. And so he really expanded this word. And so people often think dialogue is a buzzword. It's not. It's deeply theological, and there's lots of church teaching behind it and a lot of, you know, academic study and rigor. And it also developed out of relationship because it has to be – I'm going to use my colleague Alexandra Carroll. She always uses the phrase nimble to the spirit, and that's kind of come the U.S. Synod teens motto. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Can I ask you, like, what are the the challenges that that come with dialogue? Like, what, what challenges have you encountered? I think the biggest challenge is becoming deeply self-reflective and self-aware. Those are two things that are required to be in dialogue, in a deep spiritual dialogue with someone else. I think it's crucial to know what makes you uncomfortable, why it makes you uncomfortable, reflecting on being uncomfortable. And it takes a lot of work to have those things, but dialogue can fall flat without those things. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think that's what I expected you to say. <laughs> no, what do you th- what were you thinking? Well, because, you know, so much of like my work covering the Vatican is it ends up being about people's disagreements or whatever, but the fact that you're like no, the biggest obstacle to overcome first is is that you have to put yourself into this reflective and listening spirit like yeah, it's it you got to do that before you get to the actual conversations, the actual, you know, dialogues with others. Yeah. Or even, you know, participating in dialogue and uh, interfaith things. Like I've had missteps for sure. Yeah. Uh, been deeply uncomfortable, been called out for that and really took a lot of self-reflection about why am I so uncomfortable? Do I really agree with that critique Is it a valid critique? Taking that in, you know, like that is the first thing and that's what makes it the hardest. And I think that's part of what's happening now with the Synod. People have been in spaces where they've been uncomfortable and they've been challenged. And I'm sure that's happening, you know, in Paul VI Hall right now. Sure. That people, yeah, across the way from where we're recording here in Rome. And Mm -hmm. I think people don't realize that part of it. A sort of a related question, but have you witnessed like a conversion among people with different or like polarized views? Yeah. You're, you're nodding, but our listeners can't see yeah. that. Tell, yeah. me, tell me about it. So I think it came out most in the continental sessions. We had them online, which was a creative way. And in doing so, we were able to listen to way more people than we would have if we just gathered some folks in person. And so again, got critiqued for it, but there's a give and take and all of those things. The shock and joy that people could talk to each other and disagree. Like, I don't think people realize that they could do it and that it could happen. 
So they shared just like this immense joy at being able to have these conversations with one another. And that's not everybody 100% all the time. But on the whole, yeah, I think people, especially in our country, because it's so polarized in the way that it is, that contributed, I think, to the some of the fear and skepticism. But the people who've participated, like our delegates from the U.S. in the parish, in the diocese, at the continental level, and now they're here at the universal level in Rome, you can see the transformation. And, and also working with some of the bishops, because we had a bishop's team that helped us on the continental stage. And those bishops had been part of like their diocese and then they did the regional work and then they helped us with the national and then they did it with the, so I was journeying with them too and seeing their spirit changes. Like they got more curious about what was happening. They didn't make as many assumptions and they were like, Oh, talk to me about that. Explain that to me. Yeah. And so that it really is, I, I believe in I feel like people think I sound naive when I say this, but the reason I said yes to this project is I believe in the transformative power of dialogue as I know it through Catholic tradition. And I've seen it happen and I've seen it work. And I know my own self-transformation by being in deep relationship with people who uh, love me but challenge me. I wonder what what your hopes are for the rest of it. You know, I... That's an interesting question because like what part of hoping and my, my hope is truly that those who have participated continue to be witnesses in whatever community they find themselves and to bring the synodal way of being into their lives. And it's not, you know, it's, I don't think it's related. It's like exclusive just to church life. There's ways to be reflective and engaging in in every Catholic's life, whether they work for the church or not. And so, you know, when I first read the documents, I called Father Fuller, the Vata Makam and the um, preparatory document. And I said, Father Fuller, have you read these yet? He said, no. I said, so you don't know what the Pope is actually asking of us, do you? And he said, no, I was like, the Pope wants to, to spiritually form a billion people. <laughs> we're going to see what happens. No pressure. Uh, <laughs> no, like that's, and from the from the get-go, that's how we treated it as a spiritual formation process. And so, yes, we're talking about tons of important topics in the church, but we're not at this stage called to answer those questions. I don't think we're called to figure out how to answer those questions together because we didn't know how and we're learning how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that I've heard from a lot of people who are like really taking this this process to heart as a spiritual process is that mm-hmm. it's um yeah it's it's a process of transformation and of of learning how to do this learning how to be synodal way more than what decisions we're taking at the end or whatever right this is this is a learning by doing one of the great things is being nimble to the spirit means that like your best laid plans uh, don't always go that way. So they may have ideas, but that also might shift. You know, we're only currently on day three of their meetings. So who knows what will happen by October 29th. There's a whole array of people in that room um, whose ideas and hopes and joys and experiences are being shared. And so we'll see how that creates a different dynamic in what 
comes from it. We've been talking over and over again about this, what you've been calling nimbleness of the spirit, what I would call like a radical openness to the spirit. And um, yeah, I felt like <laughs> as you were talking, I was like, oh, like the the Ignatian examine is like what you're asking people to kind of do for that internal um, internal reflection and like internal conversion. Obviously, I'm not going to like lead an examine on this podcast right now because that would take some time. But but I think that like the pinnacle of that kind of radical openness to the spirit is expressed in St. Ignatius's sushi pay. So we can pray that together. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will, according to your will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is sufficient for me. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. No, thanks for having me. This is the first time I've really talked about some of the more behind the scenes stuff about how decisions were made because you know like I said we really wanted and and the story is the people of God and what they've done but thank you for having me on and sharing my story and experience of the synod of course we were, we were honored that you chose us to uh, to share it with for the first time and I will see you in Rome yeah thanks Colleen Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo Da Silva and Sebastian Gomes. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X at Colleen Dully, that's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-D-U-L-L-E, and you can find our veteran Vatican correspondent and my co-host, Jared O'Connell, at Jerry O. Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to American Media. Just click on the link in our show notes. It's easy to do. It's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And remember, you can do that for just $1 during this month of the Synod. And if you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For American Media, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.